I'm Max Reed with the Editor of Royals Review. Sean Newkirk is not able to make it this week, so filling in for him is assistant editor Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's too cold for November 14th, but, you know, I guess we're just going to have to deal with it. It seems crazy that there was baseball being played like just two weeks ago. Uh, I guess right? not in Kansas City, but uh, yeah, it seems absurd to have winter this early. Uh, also joining us for the first time is Kansas City media darling David Lesky. You can hear him on all sorts of radio stations throughout the Midwest. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the off season's gotten gotten going now, and we know Dayton Moore has been busy this week at the general manager meetings, which don't typically generate a lot of headlines, uh, but it is where, like, general managers do kind of set the foundation for trades later in the winter, especially for the winter meetings, which will happen in the first uh, couple weeks of December. But Moore did speak to the local media on a few topics, including uh, the coaching staff under Mike Matheny. And from what it sounds like, most of the coaching staff will be returning uh, from last year. Alec Lewis of The Athletic did confirm this week that Pedro Grafal, the quality assurance coach who is up for the managerial jobs in Kansas City and San Francisco, uh, instead will be returning to the uh, Royal staff in some capacity. We don't know exactly what. Uh, also returning will be pitching coach Cal Eldred. Uh, the Royals will have to fill a bench coach role, though, as Dale Svein will be moving away from the coaching staff to some other unspecified role within the organization. And Grafal or possibly bullpen coach Vance Wilson could be asked to fill that role. So, David, I know they haven't made any official announcements yet, but it sounds like most of the staff will be intact. Do you have any kind of thoughts on keeping the, 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 the coaching staff together from last year? Well, I mean, when you have a 103-loss team, that improved as as significantly as they did in 2018. <laughs> I think it's very important to keep that coaching staff in place. Um, no, I mean, honestly, most of the coaching staff to me is uh, they're pretty solid. I mean, Jersey is a good third base coach. You know, Mitch Meyer has learned from from good old Rusty Coons forever. Um, people seem to really like what Terry Bradshaw has done. Obviously, I'm a big fan of Pedro Grafal and Vance Wilson. I think is a is 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 a really quality big league coach. They they have one issue. Um, it's Cal Eldred, and I um, I don't think I'm alone in in my disdain for him. But um, you know, Mike Matheny, they go back apparently a quarter century. Back to, I didn't even I, I totally forgot that they were on the Brewers together. Yeah, the 1994 um, Brewers, that yeah. terrific Brewers team that <laughs> I think finished well under 500 that year. Well, that, that, that's kind of what the Brewers did between what 82 and. 2007 or whatever yeah, it yeah. was um so yeah so that's not great that he's going to be back but i guess um that's kind of what happens when you hire a guy like Matheny. so but what's kind of your your main issue with with eldred and what are kind of your complaints about him you know my a couple of things one i mean just looking at the numbers and and the pitchers under him nobody none of the young pitchers get better under him they all actually get worse it's not it's not that they're not even improving it's they get worse, you know, with with what he's teaching and what he's what he's touting and all that. And then you, you, know, you hear stories and and I mean, I have pretty reliable stories that he's not uh, not real fond of the analytics. Which, like, I you know, I'm not I'm not the guy who says it's all all the numbers, all the analytics. But I think that if you know, Mike Matheny mentioned this in his opening press conference a couple weeks ago or whenever that was, if you're not keeping up with the times, you're not trying. And uh, you know, I mentioned that. Actually, on a on an eight ten spot a few months ago, and Mike Boddicker took some pretty big offense to that, so that was fun. <laughs> um, that's he took great. he you took know, square I, he took aim right at you too. <laughs> he really did. And the funny thing is, I'll I'll air out the dirty laundry right here. I 
I reached out to him and he he didn't respond. So apparently, you know, that's that's what he wants to do. So anyway, but that, that that's my issue with Eldred is is he I don't believe is doing everything that he could and should be doing in 2019-2020. Um and and I think it's to the detriment of, of Royals pitchers and it concerns me that he and and Matheny to some extent are and as I put it a couple weeks ago, getting the keys to the Ferrari that is the Royals' minor league pitching depth at some point in the next couple of years. I just, I, I don't like it. And I, you know, I, I hope that, you know, maybe it's a situation where he had to learn on the job because he'd never been a pitching coach before. Um, you know, we talk about guys getting better at their jobs. Coaches can do the same thing. So hopefully he can because that, that's all we have right now is hope because he's the pitching coach. Yeah, and Matthew, you know, I know David kind of joked about keeping a, a coaching staff from a 103 loss team but i don't know is there maybe an argument to say like you know in favor of some stability i mean we do have Matheny coming in who you know i know he's with the organization for a year but he's essentially an outsider uh and you do you know i think the royals have always kind of stressed stability and i think they wanted like a seamless transition from the ned yost tenure to to whatever came next uh do that, does a coaching staff maybe you know allow them to, to have that kind of transition yeah, I think it sort of simplifies things and places it, you know, squarely on the development of the young players, you know, um, as opposed to wondering if they're not developing because it's, you know, a circus environment or whatever. And I think, you know, we've seen over the past, you know, month regarding the Astros um, varying uh, slip ups. Um, <laughs> we'll just talk, we'll talk a little bit more of that in just a second. But, yeah. but um, I, 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 you know, it, it has given me, you know, an additional room to um, sort of appreciate Dayton Moore's Royals, you know, um, for for all their warts and, and Dayton Moore's warts, um, you know, whether or not you think he's a good general manager or not, he hasn't been perfect. You know, he's been par, far from perfect. But I think one of the great things that he's done with the organization is um, making it into an organization that's very well respected. And one that um, players and coaches love to be a part of. I mean, you see, you think like, how often do you hear like a player just like roasting the Royals, and you never really do. You might hear like, oh, they didn't let me do this thing. Um, you know, uh, and Brandon Finnegan comes to mind where he was a little unhappy at the Royals, but he was also unhappy at the Reds. So maybe he's just an unhappy guy. Who knows? Um, I, I do think that it matters. You know, continuity matters, um, and. Um, you know, stability matters. And everyone who's ever worked a job knows how much better it is to come to work every day when everything is not on fire, you know, and when there's, even if it's not on fire, it's better to come to work when you know what's sort of going to happen as opposed to when there's just a lot of unknowns. So I do think it's a good thing. You know, I'm with David in terms of the, the Cal Eldred thing, but I do think the Eldred thing kind of might work itself out a little bit. Um, you know, if you've um, if you've ever read the MVP machine, um, and if you haven't, I recommend it. Uh, I think I've brought it up because I've been reading it very slowly. I brought it up in the last couple of podcasts, but um, younger players now, college players, are kind of driving a lot of the innovation in some of the um, clubs that didn't used to be as analytically focused, like the Royals, because these younger guys are going to colleges where that's the norm, and then when they come to the pros, they're like, I expect this. So I do think that. You know, I do wonder if Cal Eldred is really bad and it doesn't work with the young, uh, you know, pitching prospects. 
I wonder if that won't work itself out. Either he'll sort of get better or the pitching prospects will be enough friction to force him out. So I'm not too worried about it. You know, it's not great, but also like, it's not like Cal Eldred was having to work with, you know, like you said, a Ferrari. He wasn't working with Jaguars and BMWs. He was working with, you know, 30 year old Chrysler Pacificas <laughs> out there. Yeah. And I think the good thing too, is they are keeping Pedro Grafal who, does have that foot in the analytics world and is kind of has been kind of the conduit uh, between the the analytics department and the on field staff and you know let's face it Ned Yost wasn't exactly that receptive to analytics uh, at least not until the last year or two of his tenure and uh, and I think Griffall was able to at least get him maybe begrudgingly into into some of those ideas as well so I mean I think that's a good thing but Griffall was also up for the managerial job as was Vance Wilson. They're both going to be on Matheny's staff, David. Is that going to be a little bit awkward? I mean, uh, you know, I'm, how many times is Grafal going to look over at Matheny and think, well, I would have done that differently? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, <laughs> that's a fair question to ask. I, it's, it's, it's always awkward, I think, when you're up for a job and then have to report to the person who beat you out for it. Um, I think it, I, I you know, I, I maybe I'm wrong here, but I feel like it would have been more awkward had it been, Vance Wilson getting the job over Grafol or vice versa and them having to work with the other one um, just because they were both on the coaching staff together. But yeah, I mean, I think that hopefully what Matheny has learned and, and you know, I, I, we've all talked about this. He, he said everything right in the press conference. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything there. There were a couple of points that I was like, ah, I would have liked to hear you expound on your, on your dismissal from the Cardinals a little bit more, but I also get why you didn't. Um, but you know, I think uh, I think if he did learn something, and he, he he can utilize those guys as as strong voices on his staff, and that, that make everybody better. So hopefully that that's how that works out. Um, you know, I think one way or another, this was Dayton Moore's last hire. I think that it either goes up in terrible flames, and John Sherman says I can't do this anymore, or it's a huge success, and Matheny's here for ten years, and Dayton retires at the end of that. So I think I think I think this is it for him. So. You know, for for his sake, I hope it's a successful one um, from top to bottom on that coaching staff. Yeah, and Matheny is a hire, and, 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 you know, there's nothing we can do about it now. I mean, hopefully he succeeds. I think we all are rooting for him. Uh, just one last note, though. I did ask Jeffrey Flanagan in his mailbox column this week, hey, I know he reported that, you know, there were some external candidates they interviewed remotely, which probably means they weren't super serious candidates, but, but that was reported. Uh, and I asked Flanagan, do we know who they are? And he said, well, you know, and he said, you know, I'm going to dig more into this. But what he understands is the Royals wanted to keep it kind of quiet so that the candidates wouldn't be bothered by the media. Matthew, are you really buying that? Because it didn't seem like if you're up for like a really high profile job like that, I think you want people to know so that they're like, oh, you know, so and so Matthew Lamar is, uh, is considered talented enough to get a one of 30 jobs in major league baseball that's hang on are you reporting point. something right now <laughs> I, i'm not reporting anything but i'm just it seemed a little i'm a little dubious of the yeah we talked external candidate story so i don't know matthew what did you did you have any reactions to that or do you think they really had external candidates i'm not sure they had one i mean to be perfectly honest i'm not entirely certain that they actually did interview external candidates or at the very least if they did it was a very cursory kind of thing where they interviewed them maybe they sort of did the thing where they interviewed someone for like a couple of different jobs at once right so they like the bench coach is open 
right? right? And they interviewed them for both, you know, positions, and they they just didn't think that. Yeah, I, I either either two possibilities uh, are, are the are the most likely. Either one, they just didn't have any external ones, and it's all smoke and mirrors to sort of mask them being infatuated with Matheny. Or number two, they didn't interview anyone remotely, um, you know, close enough to to making uh, or getting the job. So, yeah, I'm with you. I'm. Not impressed. It will be fascinating to see what Flanny digs up if you know if he's able to dig up something because I do want to see. I mean, it might be like, yeah, we interviewed Dougie Jones. He was the janitor over at, at the Cincinnati <laughs> Red Stadium, you know, so something like that. I mean, you got to think that if they had interviewed anybody literally connected to any of the other coaching jobs, something would have leaked somewhere, yeah. you know. I just have to say, when I read that answer. The first thing I thought of was the scene in the office when they're talking about people who fool around in the office, and Kevin immediately says she goes to another school. That, that, that that's one hundred percent what it is. It's yeah. oh yeah, no, no, we 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 did that, but they just go to another school. It's fine, it's fine. We we don't talk about it. <laughs> we yeah, we totally had external candidates, but you don't know him. He lives in Canada, and we uh, you know we yeah, it's, camp. it's you've never heard of him before. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Well, I'm sure Flynn will get to the bottom of this story one or the other, but I, yeah, it was just I was I thought that was an interesting answer, and I'm glad he is looking into that. Um, uh, Matthew, you did touch upon the the other big story of the week. That is, the Astros are big cheaters who cheat. Uh, it was revealed this week. The Astros <laughs> used technology to steal signs in 2017. Former Astros pitcher Mike Fires told Ken Rosenthal the Athletic that the team used a camera in center field to steal signs from the catcher, and then they relayed them to the hitter by banging on objects to make a loud noise to indicate what kind of pitch was coming. Generally, sign stealing is frowned upon in baseball, but not technically illegal. But using technology such as a camera is uh, directly against MLB regulations. In fact, uh, it got to a point in 2017 that um, Commissioner Rob Manfred actually had to order a directive, a directive to, all, to all the teams telling them to cut it out because of rumors that the Red Sox were kind of doing this. And, and there have been rumors about the Astros for a number of years. Uh, a lot of people noticed they were whistling to each other during the postseason. Uh, possibly to indicate signs. So, Matthew, what was kind of your reaction to the story about this, the Astros and, and st- sign stealing? Yeah, I mean, first reaction is, of course, it was the Astros, right? You know, the, the Astros, if nothing else, have developed a very intense reputation of doing whatever they can to get as much a value as they can. And if they, you know, were able to do this and not get caught, which they were for years, um, you know, of course it was the Astros, but you know, I think it's it's a very interesting discussion beyond that because you're right. You know, the entire reason why catchers do the very complicated sign motion that they do when someone's on second base, um, when when there's a opponent uh, opposing runner on second base, that is, um, is to get is to prevent them from stealing the signs, right? and relaying them so it's it's something that you that like has happened and i think generally speaking if you were to go to everyone anyone and say yeah they're stealing the signs or they're relaying the signs you know before you know the advent of this technology say 50 years some of the response would be probably like oh we'll just get better at you know switching up your signs you know that's your own fault right if (laughs) If you are, what was it? It was like a playoff game where uh, 
Johnny Cueto was like signaling which pitch he was going to throw. Yeah. You, you, you remember that? With his, with yeah, his open like, hand, like to the batter. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, and everyone's like, "Why is it? Why are they teeing off on him?" And then the next day, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's just like totally signaling what pitches he's about to throw." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like that that sort of thing is just like, well, too bad you screwed it up, right? But I think what what makes this um, what different, not in terms of scope, but in kind, is using technology. Um, secretly to assist you in that sign ceiling Um, and using it in a way that the opposing team by their very nature of not being in their home, you know, ballpark of being in an away ballpark um, by using in a way that they can't do that. You know, that's, that crosses the lane of the line sort of from trying to beat your opponent and figure out what they're doing to, Hey, we're going to cheat because, you know, if you think about this in another type of context, um, so you know, if someone had bugged the um, in an NFL game, right? If if Bill Belichick had bugged Andy Reid's microphone when they were in New England, right, and he could hear everything that he was saying, you know, that's clearly, you know, not okay. But if if Belichick figured out what Andy Reid was doing, that is okay. You know, the the line of demarcation here is the use of technology and the secret use of technology um, to accomplish something. Um, so, but it's also really interesting because I'm sure that the Astros are not the only team that was doing something like this. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how far this goes and what teams raise a lot of, you know, hell about it and what teams just sort of nonchalantly go oh no you know those those are the teams that were also doing it too so it's just all very fascinating but of course it was the astros right of course it well, was yeah, the astros you mentioned other teams doing it tigers former tigers pitching coach jeff jones kind of accused the brewers and rangers of two other teams that are pretty bad about it you know obviously the royals and the blue you know accused the blue jays not just in that postseason series but in a couple other regular season series of stealing signs and of course we there's been the long rumors of the the man in white that the, the blue jays would have in those those hotel rooms out in center field that supposedly was relaying signs um uh you know and, and the red Sox have certainly been accused of, of the same thing as well so it, it may well be very pervasive but you know david this does seem maybe like a, a different level of of uh tactics and and and, and crossing the line how does how do you kind of see this resolving being resolved by baseball? I mean, it seems like a chance for them to kind of really put their foot down and say, okay, enough of this. Uh, we got to get this out of the game. But on the other hand, you know, it, it is kind of a fine line. I mean, like I said, it, stealing signs is pretty tolerated as long as it's you know a guy at second base, you know, kind of giving hand signals to the batter. It seems like a, using a camera is not that much different, but but it clearly does cross some sort of line with baseball. How does, uh, how does baseball set about, set about resolving this? Well, I mean, I think it just matters how much they care about it, honestly. Because if, if they want to keep it out of the game, if they want to stop this in the future, they can't fine the Astros $2 million or whatever it might be. Because if it's going to cost $2 million to steal signs, I mean, I'd, I'd pay up front, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> it's the cost of like, Alcides Escobar. <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. It's 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 far more valuable than, than Chris Owings, and he was $3 million. So, <laughs> um, I mean, so there, there's – I think that they're going to have to do something much bigger than that. It, draft pick loss, international spending, you know, some something along those lines, or, or else it doesn't matter. 
Because I mean, how much how much is that worth? Really, they could find ten million dollars, and it's probably worth it to any team to pay that at some point. Um, so you know, I, I I think I do think it's interesting that they have all this fancy technology, and the way they signal the pitch is by banging a trash can. <laughs> yeah. Like you're not, I, I'm I'm surprised they didn't you know implant a chip inside these players <laughs> and and have it, but that you know that's that's it's, it's weird, but. Yeah, I mean, I think that if they want to be serious about it, they have to do something beyond just a monetary fine, or it has to be such an imposing fine that that it's not worth it anymore. That it's just look, okay, I'm not going to pay thirty five million dollars for this. It's 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 not. No, we're done. We're we're putting the cameras away. We're doing all that, and so you know. But again, it's it's how how much do they care? Because. There, there's a lot of technology that is scooting closer and closer to the field every day. You've got instant replay. You've got iPads in the dugout. I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that there was a whole big deal about Ned Yost wearing his Apple Watch. And now you literally have a handful of iPads in the dugout with, with video and, and and everything from from the from the bat two minutes ago. So you know, they, they've got to decide how, how serious they want to be about technology invading the game. And, you know, if they don't care, then they don't care. And every team should install a camera and home field advantage becomes that much bigger, which I think it's already pretty big in, in baseball because of the various alignments and all that in the stadiums and all that. But, you know, I, I think ultimately they're going to say we don't want this. And I, I think they're going to come down pretty hard on the Astros, assuming they find what we all think they're going to find. Yeah, I mean, well, fines are one way to go. I think you loss of draft picks. I think they've certainly used before to kind of try to discourage certain behavior that was like systemic within an organization. I wonder if AJ Hinch, if he's found to be kind of like overseeing the entire operation, if he gets some sort of suspension during the season. Yeah, uh, that could be. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know exactly what you would do to, to really deter it. I mean, like, like you say, like if it's just a fine or even a suspension, like you know, what's, you know, do the Astros really need AJ Hinch for the first 25 games of the regular season? Probably not. I mean, they'll, they'll be fine with Joe Espada or whoever runs the team. Um, so, you know, I don't know if there's a a really deterrent that can really keep teams from doing this. I I think what you know we had this discussion I think in the comments of of the Royals rumblings this morning. But I think you know the 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 best way to get around this is, is to combat technology with technology. And you're probably going to have to have a scenario where the the pitcher and catcher are communicating some other way other than <laughs> flashing a couple fingers. Uh, whether or not that's you know some sort of elaborate, you know, Morse code or, uh, or the, or some sort of, uh, listening device the pitcher has that, you know, someone's telling them what pitch is coming or the manager or the catcher. And of course that's, that's susceptible to being stolen as well. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably the way we're headed and, and this doesn't get discussed a whole lot, but, uh, you know, they talk about the, 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 the slow pace of the game. I think stealing signs is a big part of that. Uh, I think teams are so on guard about, trying to get their keep their signs protected that, that and keep them from getting stolen that's why you see the pitcher out there for 25 seconds trying to get a sign from the catcher and then the catcher says okay we're not on the same page and he has to go out there and they have to talk about it and i mean that slows the game down it's not a huge part of the pace of play but that is part of it uh and so i think it would be in best, baseball's best, best interest to kind of nip this thing in the bud right now uh but how you go about doing that i think is a little more difficult so yeah we'll see i don't know the, the astros I think make for a kind of a convenient whipping boy because they are uh, they've been successful. They've already kind of got a reputation as a team willing to um, you know take shortcuts or at least you know blur moral boundaries to to win. Uh, but I I wonder how pervasive this is because 
no one was willing to talk until now, and um, I think no one was willing to talk because a lot of teams are probably doing this to some extent. So, well, uh, side note, real quick, yeah, is there a team more opposite the Astros than the Royals as far as their reputation? I mean, I was I was thinking about this earlier. The Royals would never do this. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like they are so squeaky clean that you would never have a Tobman situation with them. You would never have a, a signs dealing with technology situation with them. And, you know, I mean, there are arguments to, for and against it. The mm-hmm. Astros clearly do everything they can to win. And the Royals follow the book. I mean, we assume unless if they don't, they are such next level at it that go good for them. But I it's just it's funny to me how how polar opposite these two organizations are. And you know what? In the last, uh, what, six seasons, they both have two World Series appearances and one World Series win. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting because last week, or uh, last time we had a podcast, I think I mentioned, talk, we were talking a little bit about Matheny and, and his kind of, you know, his, he definitely wears a religion on his sleeve and he does a lot of charity and good works. And we talked about how that, you know, factors in the Royals' managerial hirings. And, you know, I think i expressed like i think winning matters a lot and i don't want them to like maybe shortcut winning in terms of like just having a bunch of good guys on the other hand like you raise a good point like it is kind of nice to have a team that is doing things by the book that is that you can feel good about that is kind of doing things i think for the most part morally on the up and up now there may be things you can quibble with as far as like political or religious stances but i think i think you know they're not cheating it doesn't seem like um it doesn't seem like they're uh cutting corners or or, or keeping on guys with serious domestic abuse, you know, problems. Um, now, we'll see. You know, they haven't put be put into in many, many of those situations. We did have the Luke Heimlich situation where Dayton Moore was looking to sign a, a you know, someone who uh, pled guilty to child molestation. But even in that instance, I don't think it was like, we need to get this guy to win. I think it was more like he saw Heimlich as someone who could be saved uh, and, and given a second chance. So even in that context, I don't know if that, if that was, you know, can really be compared to like what the Astros are doing. Now you can take the stance that that's still a really morally high, you know, highness thing to do get to give a young man like that a platform. And I, I understand that, you know, stance, but I think Dave Moore is coming at it from a much different perspective than the Astros. So that is, yeah, a very interesting contrast between organizations. Um, yeah. Uh, the other, I guess the other news this week around baseball awards, uh, we've got MVPs, Mike Trout won the American league uh, MVP in a pretty close uh, vote over Alex Bregman of the Astros nationally goes to Cody Bellinger this year over Christian Yelich. Uh, Cy Young's Justin Verlander beat out Garrett Cole and uh, Jacob deGrom wins for a second straight year with the Mets. Um, Jorge Soler got one vote. I mean, he got he finished with one vote, one tenth place vote in MVP voting. He's the only Royals. They got Royals player. that got any kind of votes. Uh, Matthew, any kind of reactions to, to voting? Did they get the, the, they get the awards right this year? Yeah, it's, I, I'm most happy about Mike Trout, who's the best player in baseball and the most valuable player in baseball. Um, but he's been so good for so long that everyone's just kind of bored with him, which is, you know, kind of dumb. I mean, a little bit like LeBron James, like any given year, LeBron James could win the MVP, but people are like, eh, he's won so many. He's been good. He's been around forever. What's more interesting? So I'm glad that, um, you know, Mike Trout deservedly got another uh, MVP. Uh, what's kind of interesting is Justin Verlander getting the uh, you know MVP or not the MVP, excuse me, getting the Cy Young Award over his teammate Garrett Cole, who was you know the ace for that um, playoff you know bullpen or not bullpen, the ace of that playoff staff. Um, and you know by ERA, Garrett Cole was better. By FanGraphs version of wins above replacement, Garrett Cole was more you know valuable, but. 
Justin Verlander got the got the nod. So, you know, I guess you know Verlander did pitch eleven more innings than Cole did, um, and he's sort of got the name recognition and and history that I think values um, some voters value. So I thought that was a little odd, but otherwise, you know, sort of went as expected, right? Yeah, as far as the the local votes, too, if you want to know that, uh, for MVP, it was Jeff Passan and Mike Oz of Yahoo Sports, both voting for Alex Bregman. Neither of them put Jorge Soler on the ballot. The only 10th place vote uh, that Soler got was actually from uh, uh, Anthony Fennick of the Detroit Free Press. Uh, For Cy Young, uh, Rustin Dodd voted for Garrett Cole. Jeffrey Flanagan voted for Justin Verlander. Uh, David, do you you agree with the the votes, the awards, or uh, did they get it wrong? Nothing egregious, I don't think. Um, Personally, I I would have voted for Bregman over Trout, actually. Um, And I would say 10% of that is because I picked Bregman preseason, um, (laughs) and I wanted to be right. But, I mean, you know, I think those two, Trout and Bregman, were so close this year. Um, that that's one of those situations where typically I don't you know I don't care if you play for a winning team or a losing team or whatever, um, especially if you're a clear cut best player, most valuable player. But I think when when it's that close, I think you kind of go to tiebreakers a little bit. And you know the Astros, there was more pressure playing for the Astros. That it was, um, you know, just a, a little bit, a little bit more on the line for Bregman than for Trout. And he played the full season, which I think. You know, it, 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 again, if it's that close, you look at the numbers, like games played, and 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 all that. And I think that to me, that gave him the nod slightly. But I also really <laughs> can't argue with Mike Trout as MVP like ever. So that doesn't bother me. And I, I probably would have picked Cole over Verlander, but also eh, it doesn't bother me. And everything else, I mean, they were rookies of the year award. That and those were those were pretty slam dunk. Um, the Peter Alonso for the Mets and yeah, and uh, I mean, Jordan he, Alvarez for the Astros. Yeah, they're pretty much runaway favorites. If Tatis had been healthy, he might have had a real real race in the National League, but he wasn't. And you know, the funny thing is, Mike Soroka, the season he put up, that's a rookie of the year season, eight times out of ten probably. But he just he ran into into a polar bear, and he he couldn't. He can't. You can't overtake a polar bear. It's just it's just not possible. <laughs> so he, he's. He, I I wouldn't try it either. So you know it's. Like I said, I nothing out. There are a couple things I would have I would have voted differently if I had the opportunity. But I mean, it, it's all pretty defensible. I the National League MVP to me was the craziest, most you know, most hotly contested race, just because I think any of the three finalists had a really strong argument. And I honestly, I I was so I, I thought about it a million times and I, I was so back and forth on it that I, I really have no idea who I would have picked, which means that any of them are really good choices. So, you know, good for, good for Bellinger. He, he, uh, he had a phenomenal season. I think, I think they mostly got it right this year. Let's uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about free agents and where they might out, end up and for how much. Well, we're back. And with the hot stove heating up, I wanted to take a look at this year's free agent class. Uh, we've already seen a couple of free agents already signed, but uh, David Lesky recently wrote a piece predicting where the top free agents would land. So I thought we'd look over some of the top free agents, discuss where they might end up and for how much. Uh, like I did mention, Will Smith signed this week with the Braves for a three-year, $39 million deal. Jake Odorizzi returned to the Twins on his qualifying offer for $17.8 million. You've seen Adam Wainwright return to the Cardinals, but there's still a lot of free agents out there left. And if it's anything like the last two off seasons, it'll probably take several months for them to sign uh, on what could be a long, drawn-out 
offseason. But let's kind of start with, I think, everyone's uh, choice for the top free agent out there, the postseason uh, Goliath, really, Garrett Cole of the Astros. He's out there, um, you know, pitched with the Astros last year. Uh, doesn't sound like they're that keen on bringing him back just because of the money involved. But, David, uh, where do you have him end, uh, going ending up this year? I think he goes to the Angels. Um, I, and that's kind of the obvious choice. But, I mean, he's from Southern California. He grew up an Angels fan and a Yankees fan. Um, they have a huge need. They just hired Joe Madden. They're going to be MVP. Uh, and it's, it, it just – that's one of those just makes perfect sense. It's almost – Kind of reminds me of CC to the Yankees in 2009. It was just, you knew it was going to happen. Just wait for it to happen. It'll happen. But, you know, I think that there are a lot of teams who are going to give give it a run. I think the Phillies, um, the Yankees, yeah, the Astros are going to try. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if the White Sox throw a pretty big offer at him. I don't think he'll go there. I don't think he has any desire to go there. But uh, he's, he's going to have some, some offers. Um, I think ultimately, though, he ends up Angels. My guess, you know, probably eight, seven, eight years, 33. And he's going to want $34.2 million a year to get past the Grinky AAV. Um, he, I think he has a good chance to get it. I think, I think you know, you, if it's seven years, $240 million, I think is certainly possible. Eight years, I could see, you know, the 265-ish, somewhere in there. So he's, I think he's... <laughs> He's going to set himself up pretty nicely, and he's also going to set up his great, 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 great grandkids pretty nicely. Yeah. Well, yeah, and usually when you see you know reports of like, hey, this free agent wants to go to a certain geographic area, I mean, it, a lot of times it tends to be kind of right. I mean, Patrick Corbin we saw last year was like, oh yeah, he wants to see East Coast. Everyone kind of assumed that meant Yankees, but it actually meant the Nationals, which still on the East Coast. So I I do tend to kind of believe, uh, you know, Cole wants to be in, in Southern California. There are two Southern California teams, or really three, I guess you could count the Padres and Dodgers, that could could make a serious run at him. Yeah, um, Padres, are, they're definitely a team that will throw some money at him, I think. Yeah, but, but the, the Angels, I think, are the team that clearly their pitching staff is terrible. Um, they really, they've had a couple really down years. They need to kind of make a splash. They're really ruining Mike Trout's prime years by pitching guys like Matt Shoemaker and uh, Felix Pena and, you know, just a terrible <laughs> rotation of, of pitchers. So getting a guy like Garrett Cole, I think, would put him back on the map. Matthew, is, do you concur with the California selection, or do you think he's going to go in a different direction? No, I think that's I think that's that's probably right. You know, I, I do absolutely think that he's going to not be with the Astros anymore. I mean, if you saw, if you saw the press conference – after game seven, he wasn't wearing an Astros hat anymore. He was wearing like a Boris hat. That is the most hilarious. Like, That's throwing shade. I want to get a Boris hat. Oh, man. <laughs> if anybody has an in, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I've got the, the uh, Angels um, contract uh, list. Um, there's a payroll uh, for the next couple of years. And uh, Simmons, Andrelton Simmons, who's making $15 million next year, and Zach Kozart, who's making $12.67 million, both come off the books in 21. So that's, you know, $27 million that comes off the books all at once in 21. And also, Albert Pujols finally comes off the books in 2022. So the Angels do have, you know... Other than Trouts and Justin Upton, who they're playing, paying some money for, they've got some money to, to play with. So I think that's a good bet. Well, and, and you know, their offense is pretty actually decent. And 
not terrible. Not, I mean, they have they have some prospects that'll help, help supplement, be able to pay for Garrett Cole. Um, and I also think they get another starting pitcher, which I think we'll get to in a minute. But um, Joe Adele is coming up. He's going to be, you know, he's, he'll be there in June, May. I, I don't know. And I think he's he's one of those guys who will just hit the ground running. And and they've got Brandon Marsh down in the minors as well. They, they've got some pieces. So I think that you you build the rotation. You add that to Otani whatever he can give you on the mound. And, and I think that I, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. And, you know, the AOS is going to be fun. The, the, the A's are always good. The Astros are obviously good. The Angels, I think, are going to be a lot better with what they pick up this offseason. So it'll, it, and the Rangers, too, are going to be better. So it'll be a fun division. Another postseason hero was Anthony Rendon of the Nationals. He uh, He's also a free agent. Uh, earlier in the year, the Nationals offered him a seven-year deal, reportedly between 210 and $215 million. He turned it down, uh, pretty ballsy on his his on his part, but it looks like he may actually exceed that on the open market. Uh, David, you got him going to the Rangers. Can you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean they're they're moving to the new ballpark. They want to make a splash. I would assume um, they have an opening at third base. He's from Texas. It you know, it's kind of like the Cole. It, it adds up. It's not quite as it's not a foregone conclusion. Like I feel like Cole kind of is to some extent. Um, the Rangers have also been linked to Donaldson, and, and I think I saw something with Moustakis um, to the Rangers as well. It sounds but, like Moustakis is more of a plan B or C at this point. Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know, it just makes sense. And the other thing, too, Rendon, I forgot when he, when he said it or exactly what he said, but somebody asked him something like, where, where do you want to be when you're 36? And he's hopefully not playing. So, <laughs> but I don't think he wants the long deal. I think he wants a four- or five-year deal. Give him his hundred, you know, give him four years, one hundred fifty million, and you, he'd be the highest uh, AAV player in baseball. And there maybe Trout's higher than that. I'm not sure, but um, I, I think I think it makes a lot of sense for really any team because you don't have to make that long commitment. I mean, four years is a long time for for a player on get thirty, but at the same time, he's really good. So it's it's not not the worst thing if you can get that guy for only four or five years and not have to go seven or eight like most guys in in his you know class get get to go so i think rangers are a pretty good bet i also could see um you know the phillies are always a risk for for anybody because they they're still spending stupid money i think um dodgers have have some interest um if the angels whiff on their pitching I wouldn't count them out for a guy like Rendon because Moreno came out and they're going to spend. You know, again, they hired Joe Madden not because they want somebody to help a rebuild, but because they want to win. And I think they're going to spend some money. And if they don't get the pitcher they want, I think they're going to get Anthony Rendon or Josh Donaldson or so- something like that. And and you know, they're they're going to spend money one way or another, whether it's on the mound or on the field. Yeah, I like the Rangers as well. I think you, you know there's a geographic component there as well. Rendon being from Houston, that was mentioned a million times during the World Series. But you know the Rangers, you know they're moving into a new ballpark, but they also have a lot of financial flexibility. I mean they've got only yeah. they've got less than a hundred million dollars in uh, commitments for next year, and that's a you know in that market with a new ballpark, they could easily have a hundred sixty, hundred seventy million dollar payroll. Uh, and Chu falls off after the season, I think. Yeah, so they've got they've got a really good position right now. Um, so I, I can see that as well. But Matthew, uh, you know, a lot of I think a lot of teams would like Anthony Rendon. He would fit in a lot of places. Where do you have him ending up? You know, I think he's going to go back to the Nationals. You know, if the Nationals are willing to give him two hundred ten million dollars, I think it's just sort of a deal where you know if they just won the World Series, they're going to want to lock up their guy. Um, 
I uh, I just think that they'll they'll go out and try to sign him again. And I think you know Rendon probably play, played it played it right. While the I'm sort of mid tier free agents haven't done all that great in the last couple of years. You know the top guys have gotten their money. So he turned it down. He wants to play in the market. He's got a World Series ring. Doesn't come back to the Nationals. He can go somewhere else, make a boatload of money. You know, he's healthy. There's uh, no downside for him. Yeah, that's a really good point. The, the free agent market, you're right, has, while it's been unkind to guys like Mike Moustakis, I mean, guys at the top end have certainly gotten theirs. So, yeah, I expect Anthony Rendon to get a pretty pretty healthy deal this offseason. Uh, you know, it's interesting we have so many guys from the World Series uh, eligible for free agents this year. Also joining those two is Steven Strasburg, who had an excellent postseason as well. So that will certainly boost his uh, value. Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you this time. Where do you see Strauss ending up uh, after a, a fantastic postseason? Yeah, I think you know. I think like like David said, the Nationals um, are gonna are probably. I, I would bet that the Nationals get either you know Rendon or Strasburg, sort of like um, you know the Angels. If they don't get their guy, they'll turn to Anthony Rendon. You know, um, so I think that's that's a that's a possibility. I think it's probably the chances of either one of Rendon or Strasburg going back to Washington are pretty high. It's just hard to tell which one. I you know. I, I have no uh, insight into this beyond just gut, but it feels like Steven Strasburg is like a Yankees guy, you know, and I, I don't even know if they really want to do that, but it just feels so very Yankees to get like the once top prospect in all of baseball and the most hype prospect in all of baseball eventually wears pinstripes. Um, it just, it just smells that way. Even if it's, if it's not, you know, likely it just, I, I don't know. Can't, can't really explain it. Gut feel. Yeah, Strauss is kind of a diff- he's kind of a difficult one for me. I think it's just going to come down to like who offers him the most money. Uh, David, who do you, who do you think uh, Strauss ends up going to? Well, I had the Padres. Um, again, this is a geographical fit. I I, I can't get away from that apparently. <laughs> um, I mean, the guy's from San Diego. He went to San Diego State. He played for Tony Gwynn in college. Um, I, I and the Padres they have a need. They have a need and a desire. And so ultimately, I think they they will end up giving the biggest offer. But that said, you know, they, they, they won a world series. They won a world series MVP with the team that drafts him number one overall. It's one of those things that it's, it, you almost wonder if they're not going to let him go. They're not going to, they're not going, no matter what the Padres offer, they're going to offer a dollar more. Um, and then if he ends up wanting to go back home, so be it. But I, I think, I think it's Padres ultimately, but I, I don't know. Like the nationals are, they're so sneaky when they sign guys. I mean, we didn't see them on Scherzer. We didn't see them on Corbin. You know, we we just they 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 kind of find their way into this free agent bidding and like snap right away, and it's and they just get the deal done. <laughs> it's it's like they weren't even reported until the day before it happened. So, uh, and and this is a little different. Obviously, they're going to be part of this the whole way through. But I think I think it's Padres. But I think the Nationals have a really good shot. Um, and. I think Matthew's right. You can't count out the Yankees on anybody like Strasburg. Um, they, especially two straight or what, what three straight years now, they've they've come pretty close and haven't made it. That doesn't fly in New York. So they're they're going to try to be pretty active, even though they've been a little bit fiscally responsible lately. Um, but yeah, I, ultimately, I think it's Padres for Strass. I think the Nationals are going to make a definitely a strong run at keeping him. I think what kind of hurts them is I think some teams have been. You know, the last couple off seasons, we've seen a lot of teams have a lot of restraint, at least a lot of the mid-tier teams. So, you know, I think there are going to be some teams 
that are going to be, frankly, flush with cash. I mean, teams like the Padres, teams like the Rangers. I think a team like the Phillies, I think you're gonna, they're, really, they're really trying to make it work. They're really trying to make the, take it to that next level. And I think you could see Strauss join his old buddy Bryce Harper uh, and head up to Philly, which would really be, I think, uh, you know, a, a jab at the Nats. But, hey, they got the ring, it's gonna, and the flags fly forever. They'll probably be okay. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, this one's really hard for me to peck. I could see the Yankees. I could see the Padres. Like I said, I think it'll definitely just come down to who can offer him the most money. I think the Phillies may be one of the more motivated buyers out there, although the Yankees certainly – um, you know, as if they can make the luxury tax kind of work or, or they're not, they don't care about the luxury tax. Uh, they could can just kind of bowl Strauss away. Uh, let's go with our old friend, Madison Bumgarner, another postseason hero, I guess. Uh, he hasn't been in the postseason in a while, though, uh, and, and he's had some injury concerns. Uh, David, where do you have Mad Bum ending up? Certainly not Kansas so City. Of, no, well, no, he's not going to be in Kansas City, unfortunately. Um, I mean, I know he's declining, but I'd still love him in that rotation. <laughs> but... Yeah, everybody talks about the Braves because, again, geography. I don't, I don't know that it gets there because, you know, it all kind of depends on the first couple guys. But if if Strasburg ends up in San Diego, and Rendon ends up in Texas, I feel like the Nationals are going to make a big move, and I think Bumgarner is the move. Um, when you think about a rotation, a playoff rotation with Scherzer and Bumgarner. I know that Strasburg won the World Series MVP, and he was great and all that. But I mean, gosh, the reputation there—you <laughs> can't beat that. So, I think I think the Nats end up. I think that's the guy they end up as the last-minute surprise on and get the deal done. Um, he's he's not an old pitcher. He's he's got a lot of innings. He's he's a worn-down pitcher a little bit, um, but he's also missed some time with some non-arm injuries, which is nice for longevity, perhaps. And I I think you could see like four and one twenty for him or five and one forty or something like that, that not a crazy long deal again, but a lot of money. And, and I, and I think the nationals end up as the team with him if they miss out on Strasburg, um, because they're going to need somebody to fill those shoes. What do you think, Matthew? Where's mad bum end up? I think as a Padres, um, you know, I think the Padres are going to be in the market for, for somebody splashy. But I think Matt, uh, Madison Bumgarner is kind of like the sort of next tier down from, you know, Strasburg and Cole, obviously. And the Padres have just spent like a lot of money recently, um, you know, and are going to have Eric Hosmer forever. And that's just going to be a, a hilarious contract to look at in four years. Um, so I'm not sure if it's really the smartest thing in the world for them to get to go after someone like Cole or Strasburg when somebody who's a little cheaper, like um, uh, Bumgarner's on the market. So that just seems like a good fit. Let me let me give you some some something to think about. Chew on here for a second, and I don't want to talk about it because it's going to make me angry. But what are the odds that AJ Preller calls up Dayton Moore and says, "Look, you don't have a first baseman. We want to unload some money." And Eric Hosmer's a Roy. I mean, come on. We know we know the conversation is going to happen, and maybe Dayton Moore is the one making the phone call. But and they they need to unload some money. They're going to need to get rid of some some big contract, whether it's Will Myers or Eric Hosmer. I I gotta feel like there's gonna be a phone call to Dayton Moore, and it terrifies me. So just you just something to keep in the back of your mind. Well, if, if this sets your mind at ease a little bit, Hosmer does, I believe, have a no trade clause. I don't know if it's a full no trade or it's a partial, but uh, you know we'll have to see. Like, how, what is what is his appetite on coming back to Kansas City uh, and and uh, you know reliving the old magic? Um, I you know Bumgarner is tough. I think, like you guys kind of mentioned, it's kind of depends on 
how other uh, dominoes fall. I haven't gone to the Yankees, I you know, which would be unfortunate because he is a pretty good hitting pitcher, uh, and also because I hate the Yankees. Uh, but I think he's kind of like the I think they're like I think the, the Yankees are the kind of team that will look at his postseason success and say, hey, we need a guy who has you know ice water in his veins that can win us postseason games. I think he's kind of fills that CC Sabathia kind of older veteran lefty that that can bring in and is just there forever and kind of mentoring the younger guys. So I think he could end up there. Padres makes a lot of sense, uh, but I think if I had to choose a, a, a kind of a fallback, it would be the Braves. I think the Braves make a lot of sense in what they're trying to do, and you mentioned the geography a little bit. Um, so I think Yankees or Braves. I'd say Yankees for now. Uh, Hyunjin Ryu of the Dodgers. Uh, interesting case. Uh, you have him staying with the Dodgers, David. Yeah, I mean he's comfortable there. You know the Dodgers. They they need they, if if they're not if they're not going to be big players for Strasburg and Cole and Bumgarner and and I I think they will be in on all of them in some capacity. But like, they're another one of those teams that they're practicing fiscal responsibility. Um, you know whether they should or not. That's another story. But I I I feel like. Ryu's a guy they can keep because he's comfortable there. He's mentioned that in the past. Um, I think it's not a crazy expensive deal. He's he's consistent. Even if you're not going to get 33 starts from him every year, um, I think you can get him on a 360 type deal. Um, I mean, you're paying for his best season, obviously, and you're paying for the seasons after his best season, really. But and I, I think that they don't they don't let him go. The the only thing. That you know, they might look at somebody like a Zach Wheeler, um, just a, a tier below that, even. Um, and I, I think that that could happen, but I think I mean, they're gonna stick with the guy they know, and I think that that's where Rio ends up back in LA. What about you, Matthew? Do you think he uh, returns, stays in LA? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of Japanese and Korean pitchers end up on the west coast because it's you know close to home and uh, you know they a lot of them don't don't like playing for you know midwest or east coast teams just because it's so far so far away so i, th- I think that's that's as as good of a uh, guess as any i do think the financial constraints i think the dodgers are going to go through some austerity measures and i think they are the t- kind of team that could say well you know what we could probably save some money by just letting Ryu go and, and maybe going with like, a you know, unlocking some more potential from like a Kyle, Kyle Gibson or a Tanner Roar oh, or something sure. like that. Uh, so I, I'm going to say Ryu, Ryu, you know, you do see the, some of the Asian players go to, I think they like to stick to the bigger cities because uh, it's more cosmopolitan. So I, I, I see maybe going to the Yankees uh, and joining that rotation uh, and uh, enjoying the New York lifestyle. It, I think probably like a three-year deal, like between 55 and $60 million, something like that, maybe a little less than that. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, I think you could, you know, it would be a shorter term deal, which can make him, I think, pretty attractive to some of the teams that maybe missed out on some of the, the top or top tier pitchers. Um, and he's a guy the Padres could look into also yeah. if, if they're missing out on everybody. That's, you know, they're Padres are in really good shape because there's only so many teams hunting for pitching that can pay for it mm-hmm. and also have the attractive locale. Um, so they're, they're in really good shape. If they don't get Cole, they can get Strasburg. If they don't get Strasburg, they can get Bumgarner. If they don't get Bumgarner, they can get Ryu. If they don't get Ryu, they can get Wheeler. I mean, they're they're going to find somebody. And yeah, I'm, yeah. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure somebody's going to San Diego. Yeah, and then in a lot of ways, I think they can kind of like can dictate how this offseason goes in a lot of ways just because yeah. they have that financial flexibility. 
Um, let's talk about Zach Wheeler, another pitcher out on the market. Um, I actually think he's the one the Padres will end up with. Uh, I don't really have anything to base it off of other than, than, than they need pitching, and I don't have them landing any of the other top guys. But, but David, you have him going to a different California team. Yeah, I had the Angels for him because I, I, I really believe that the Angels are committed to this. Um, again, I'll go back to it's they, they they didn't bring in Joe Madden to to sign bargain basement free agents. They they brought him in to win and to win in 2020. And I think that you know they're they're I think they're going to get their man in Cole and they need a, a really solid Robin for his Batman. I think Zach Wheeler has a has a good chance to be that. Um, he's there's some unlock there's some potential that needs to be unlocked there he hasn't quite you see it periodically it, it, in three starts here five starts there um and they're they're gonna have to hope it's kind of like a gil mesh deal with the, the royal sign although wheeler's had more success the sign i'm hoping for the best it's it, he's, he's one of those success as much as you're paying for future potential and i think that he, he makes a lot of sense in a lot of places because i think he gets like a 580 type deal um, which every team can afford, and I think I think ultimately the Angels are serious, and they get they get their second guy. Well, I've seen some predictions or estimates that he's going to get a hundred million dollars, which seems, man, he's a guy that's never put up a four win season. He's had Tommy John surgery. Yeah, yeah he's he's young on the younger side, and he has potential. But Matthew, I mean, is he gonna is he gonna be one? Of, is he gonna be that guy that gets kind of the bigger contract than maybe he should? I don't know. It's sort of hard to tell, um, you know, because there's a couple of, you know, there's three pitchers higher than him, you know, in the pecking order. Four pitchers, you know, really, if you if you think about Ryu, although they're they're kind of similar in terms of, you know, value. Um, I I I think that Zach Wheeler could be um, the ever present mystery team uh, guy, um, because if you think about it, if you're a team like, you know. I mean, not to this extent, but when the Diamondbacks went out and they wanted to get Zach Greinke, they just sort of came out from nowhere and they wanted to add someone who would, you know, help them um, and could, you know, could do so without, you know, suffering some sort of, um, you know, trading their best prospects or that kind of uh, deal. Um, does, does Zach Wheeler have a qualifying offer? Yes. He does, yeah. So whoever, so whoever signs him will have to be sure that um, that they're going for it. But I think, you know, Zach Wheeler could be the kind of guy who ends up on sort of a mid-tier team that's looking to take the next step, you know, maybe, you know, like the Twins, um, White Sox, that kind of situation. He also has a Blue Jays vibe. I don't know why. Yeah. The Blue Jays There's could something be, Toronto there. Yeah, the, <laughs> the Blue Jays haven't really tipped their hand about what they're going to do this offseason, but they've got, like, the only, like, contract they have next year is Randall Grychuk, and they've got loads of young talent i mean you know you know guerrero and bichette and biggio and uh you know they should be building around that so yeah it seems like they should be kind of aggressive and if not going after free agents you know at least trying to get some proven players you know that other teams are looking to maybe unload but yeah i wouldn't it wouldn't totally surprise me i know toronto hasn't been like a hotbed uh for like where free agents want to go to but um you know money talk so we'll see it's a big city too. I mean, it's funny we we don't think about Toronto as like this big market, but I mean it's 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 huge. Very cosmopolitan <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's an interesting interesting place because you know we don't we just don't think about it the same way that we think about New York, but it's really not all that different as far as the city goes. Let's turn to uh, Josh Donaldson. I think a lot of people expect him to take 
a shorter term deal, certainly not as short as uh, the one-year deal he took last year, but maybe two, uh, around two or three years. Matthew, where do you think Josh Donaldson plays third base next year? You know, I think it makes sense for the Braves to uh, to go after him. You know, um, I, I know he turned down the, the qualifying offer from them, but, um, you know, the Braves have money and they, you know, I don't think they're super huge fits for any of the real top tier guys. Um, you know, like the Astros and the Padres and Nationals, I think, and the Yankees going to be more aggressive than them and have more money. So I think he's he's the kind of guy that the the Braves would love to have back. Um, and if you if he likes if he had liked playing in Atlanta, you know, it makes a good sense for him too. Yeah, we're, uh, David, where do you have? Well, you know, because I, I had Rendon to the Rangers, I have Donaldson to the Nationals to to replace Rendon there. Um, I, I think. If they don't keep Rendon, they're going to be aggressive. They're they're going to find somebody who, who can. They're not going to put Carter Keboom there. I, is is what I'm getting at. So, I I think, I think the Braves make a really big run, and I think those are those two and the Rangers are your best bets. The Dodgers are actually interested in Donaldson as well. But recently came out, so a lot of possibilities there. I, yeah, I think three and seventy five, something like that, gets it done. Um, he might do a similar structure to the Arietta deal where he can opt out after two years. Um, yeah, he, he might make the for make it three and like 74 so that it's below 50 million and you don't have that 50 million dollar threshold um, prior to the opt out. I could see a team doing that messing with some structure. So it's uh, he, he, he has a pretty s- relatively small market, but I think there are it's big enough that he's, he's going to get his money and he's going to he can get to play where he wants, I think. Yeah, I could see him returning to Atlanta, but uh, I do feel like Austin Riley maybe gives them a hedge in case they don't, sure. you know, they don't want to spend that kind of money. So I, I kind of agree with you. Like, it'll come down to like the Nationals and Rangers. Whoever doesn't get Rendon will get Donaldson. Uh, and so I, since I had Rendon going to Texas, I'll say Donaldson goes to Washington and uh, and hits over there. How about uh, Marcel Ozuna? Uh, he's an interesting guy in that he had a really big year a couple years ago. Been just kind of okay the last two years david um is he a guy that i mean what kind of contract are we even talking about for him and where do you think he ends up yeah i mean he's he's the early bet for the free agent bust right Mm, he's he's got all this potential because he has the one season it was it 2017 that he was so good the same Mm -hmm. year that stanton won the mvp and every other year he's been he's been he's not a bad player i'm not i'm not that but if he gets five years and 85 million something like that which i think is certainly possible that's that's an overpay to me. Um, I, I look and and similar to Wheeler, you might be getting his best years. He's he's another guy. You're you're not paying for past performance as much as you're paying for future potential, which is a good thing in some ways. But also, it's it's been a while, and he still hasn't done it I mean, for more than one season. So I, I think the White Sox are the team most in on him. And if you think about an outfield with Eloy Jimenez, Marcelo Zuna. Uh, Luis Robert, that's 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 pretty tantalizing as far as potential is concerned. It's it's entertaining, um, and I think I think it makes some sense. Uh, you know, I, there's going to be some other teams in on him. I think he's he's cheap enough, and the allure is big enough that I think a lot of teams are going to have interest. Um, but I, I think ultimately the White Sox get him. Defensively, he seems like he would fit with the White Sox. Do mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit, uh, Matthew. What uh, what do you what about you with Ozuna? Yeah, I think um, 
he could be a guy that a number of teams could be interested in. I do wonder in an alternate universe if the Royals might be interested in him. You know, um, it sort of, sort of seems like a very date more thing to overpay for a guy. Um, you know, like that. I don't think that's most likely. I think it's you know possible if John Sherman wanted to make a splash, right, um, and increase payroll. And we honestly don't know what's going to happen yet. So, I again, I think like like Wheeler, I think there's like a mid-tier team, you know, maybe Blue Jays type of situation where where he goes. Yeah, that's kind of where I have him. I have him going to the Reds. Uh, the Reds kind of they did a good job fixing their pitching staff. Probably uh, could use. Some power in that outfield with Puig leaving, uh, so I have Ozuna to the Reds. But yeah, it, it, it seems pretty wide open. White Sox make a lot of sense. Like the, the outfield scenario you paint, I think could happen. So it, it, it's it, he seems like the kind of guy that, yeah, will probably get overpaid a little bit, and a team will regret it a year or two from now. But we'll have to see. Uh, let's just kind of run through the last couple options real quick. Just give me your your quick prediction on where they end up. Uh, Yasmani Grandal, David. Oh boy, I can't remember what I wrote actually. But uh, I think I have Braves. Okay, yeah. I think that's a really big possibility. I think it's going to be either Braves or Astros actually. For oh, Astros would be interesting. Matthew, what do you have uh, for Yasmani Grandal? Um, oh man, that's that's another tricky one. I think um I think that you know the Braves are a good one. I do wonder, you know, if the Brewers themselves aren't going to be a little aggressive in trying to keep him, you know, because he's been with the they, Brewers. They did like him. So I think I think I think if the Brewers are going to be, uh, you know, up and spend some money on someone, I think trying to retain Grandal is something that they could easily do. Yeah, I think I think he stays with Milwaukee as well. I think they have pretty good mojo there, and and he would be a priority as well. Uh, it is interesting. I, do, I just want to mention that you know I know uh, for those who are familiar with our site. No, we do that off-season simulation where we take 30 fans and have them run teams, uh, all 30 teams, and have them negotiate trades with each other and, and, and free agents with, with myself, the super agent. Uh, and usually we get some pretty ridiculous contract numbers. Grandal's is probably the most ridiculous. Uh, he ended up getting a six-year, $150 million deal, I believe with the Reds, uh, which is just, uh, yeah, that's kind of all kind of bat poop crazy. Um, yeah, but I, I think more realistically, he gets like four, maybe five years, probably more for like four years and like $15 million per year. Like, so four sixty. uh, it would probably be more realistic. Um, what about a, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Nicholas Castellanos, uh, David. And his market is so interesting because he should be a DH, but I think teams are looking at him and saying we can fix him in right field because he did get better. Um, I think the Rays, I feel like he's their Charlie Morton of 2020. And he gets, I don't know, two or three years. They can put him next to Kiermaier. You can actually hide some defensive deficiencies there. He can DH some. So I think I think he gets he ends up on the Rays. But he, he's another one of those guys. And once you get past the top six or seven, I mean, they fit pretty much anywhere. So... Uh, Castellanos is is interesting because he doesn't fit anywhere, but I think I think the Rays are a good bet for him. But he he could also be a a big time consolation prize for any of the top free agents because he's a big bat. He he can he'll get you a bunch of doubles, some home runs, and hit you for a pretty good average. So he 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 plays. It's just you know you got to find the right situation for him. Matthew, uh, Cubs. Um, you know the Cubs. You know have been. Uh, quiet. We haven't mentioned the Cubs at all, which is odd, considering they're in Chicago and you know they're one of the uh, top markets in 
in the uh, in the league. But as you said earlier, they're practicing some quote unquote fiscal responsibility. Um, you know, I mean, he played pretty well for them, so I think that he might stay there. Um, you know, it's got to be the Cubs have to get somebody right. They're not going to go through the entire offseason, the entire offseason, and not really do much of anything. I would especially think. if they move Schwarber and or Bryant and or Wilson Contreras, they're going to need to keep a right handed bat. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a good thought. I have them going to the uh, the other Chicago team, the White Sox, because uh, I don't have them getting Ozuna. So I think they'll settle for Castellanos to to kind of halfway play right field, DH a little bit, and uh, give them the the bat they need to kind of supplement some of those younger guys. How about uh, Didi Gregorius, kind of a younger guy, 29 uh, years old, had you know obviously an injury, but pretty good shortstop when he's healthy. Uh, David, where does he end up? I mean, he fits most places. Uh, I think the Brewers. Holy, I can't remember if I, that's what I put on the. On the article, but um, I think I think I had Iglesias to the Brewers. But the more I think, yeah, Gregorius to the Yankees. Oh, I have him back to the Yankees. Okay, I couldn't remember. See, I, I clearly pay attention to my own work. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think the more I think about it, the more I think the Brewers actually are a really good fit for him. Um, RC is just not cutting it, and I think that they they they, keep, they need to keep up with the Cardinals and ultimately whatever the Cubs do. And the Reds are getting better, and um, they also have the Pirates to beat. So. That's good, um, but I think I think that the Brewers are going to be in the market for a shortstop, and I think he's a he's a nice one or two year stopgap while they kind of figure out what to do with Arcia. And Matthew, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yankees is a good is a good fit, I think, for him. You know, Brewers could be a good fit. Again, this is kind of a a situation which uh, mystery fits. Um, so I don't know. It could be it could be a lot of teams. I think he's going to get a pretty hefty contract. I've, uh, the predictions I've seen have been pretty kind of short term, uh, but he's you know 29 years old. He's put up like four win seasons before. I kind of feel like he may get a bigger deal than than uh, people expect. But I, you know it's hard for me to peg out where the Yankees make sense, Brewers make sense. I, I haven't gone to the Reds just because they don't they have a big need at shortstop. They're kind of a mid tier team that could probably afford him, and so he, I think he makes some sense as a team that's kind of trying to make that push. Uh, Cole Hamels, David, uh, you have him to the Giants. Why is that? Well, I think they lose Bumgarner and they want to get a veteran back. I think that they, um, you know, they, they just want to keep keep some semblance of competitiveness, even though they're kind of in in a really weird spot. Um, I think you hire Kapler knowing that you're not probably going to be a top team right now, because I think Kapler's a really good fit for a, a, a developing team. Um, but you want that veteran presence, and I think that I think Hamels is that. Um, I think it's a good fit for him, good ballpark for him. So I think it just, I think it just makes sense all around. What do you think, Matthew? Where's old man Hamels end up? <laughs> old man Hamels. Um, I believe Hamels might be younger than all of us. Um, <laughs> yeah. For what it's worth. Well, I realize I'm old man Reaper, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know, I maybe you know, this may be a little counterintuitive, but depending on how the how the Angels. Um, do as far as their top stuff if they want to you know try to bring back someone um, you know who's who's pitched in that division before um, yeah could be an idea yeah uh, I, I could see him yeah obviously he fits in a lot of places I, I see him to the Dodgers on a short-term deal just um, as a guy that can kind of step in the rotation for maybe a little bit less than Ryu or some of the other guys um, like a two-year deal like two years 30 some million dollars um, but yeah he could fit with the Yankees the Braves I mean lots of different places uh, let's let's kind of end with with our old friend Mike Mustakis. You know he's been dealing with one year deals. Uh, had to go back to the Royals. Had to go to the back to the Brewers. David, is this the year Mike Mustakis finally cashes in? 
I think he gets a two-year deal. <laughs> so, Whoa! So sort of. I mean, um, you know, I had him to the Indians in in the article, and I literally like that's the name. I probably had the most teams next to him before I just finally decided, you know, this is stupid. I pick one and go because he he's good. He's inexpensive relatively. Um, he's not going to cost you a long-term deal because I think two years seem like uh, like a huge boon to him. Uh, the Brewers are a possibility. The Indians, I think, are, are a closet possibility. And that's kind of why I went there just for the shock value almost. Um teams that miss out on Dustin Rendon. I, I think that anybody who needs a third baseman, <laughs> and he, he can play a little second, it turns out. We, <laughs> I, that shocked me. And it's, it's a lot of its positioning, yes. So you gotta you got to be on a team that understands that. But I think most teams do in 2020. So, um, I mean, he's he's got a big market. And, and I think that's, that's why he ultimately ends up end up with those with those two maybe three years i think i think the angels are a possibility there too where, where we all thought he was going to go a couple of years ago so there's there's a lot of choices um you know it's it's an interesting market for a guy like him but he's coming off a really nice season and he showed some versatility and and i think that i think he makes a lot of sense in a few places but ultimately you, know, you if the indians trade lindor and move jose ramirez to second base because they declined the kipnis option I think you need a guy like Mustakis to help pick up some of that slack and be a night. You know, the Indians, they're still going to be talented. And so he, he could be a nice veteran leader that can kind of pull them up from their bootstraps, from the shock of Lindor getting traded, something like that. I think, I mean, that makes a lot of sense for me. Matthew, you actually kind of uh, advocated for, for the Royals uh, possibly bringing Mike Mustakis back. Uh, do you see that happening or does Mike end up somewhere else? No, no way it happens. I, the Royals are going to probably bring back Alex Gordon, which causes a chain reaction where Whit Merrifield is uh, is put in the outfield as well, um, and uh, Hunter Dozier is in at third base. I think that's probably the worst way to go. I think Hunter Dozier could be a pretty solid defensive outfielder, at least an average one. You know, he's got the speed to do it. He's got the arm to do it. I don't necessarily think he's got the infield skills to really be an above average you know um infielder. you know infielders require a lot more soft hands and and a lot more sort of specific skill type things versus just outfielders with which, which are you know more athletic based just in general um i i do think the rose should do it but they're they're not going to do it if they did it the idea would be, you know, they play Moose at third. Um, they would play Whit Merrifield and maybe left field. Um, and then Hunter Dozier, I think, fits in pretty pretty nicely in right. Um, or if they trade Merrifield, you know, Dozier does the Alex Gordon kind of type of thing of playing left. But this is all, I, you know, totally academic. They're not gonna they're not gonna sign Moose, um, and they're not gonna trade Merrifield. Um, so I think, you know, there's. Uh, possibility that moose ends up under brewers you know astro you know i didn't even think about it that the angels were that's a good point you know a couple of years ago the first time moose was up for free agency the angels went with cozart at third base which turned out just to be a total tire fire of a, of a, of a situation there so i don't know if the partner to take on some of uh, cozart's salary you know and plug moose back in where he should have gone in the first place couple of years ago um you know so that's a good idea too um but i do think that him playing second base and playing it pretty well in in milwaukee 
probably opens up more doors than he would have had otherwise. Um, because you wouldn't think that he would do very well, but he, you know, he handled he handled it, and he can also play first base too. And you know, there's not a lot of first base type of you know players in this free agent class, so he could sort of slide over there and fit a first base for someone who really wanted them to. Yeah, I had him with the Angels. I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, the Zach, like you said, the Cozart experiment went pretty horribly, and I think Mustakas could could really slide into third base there and and really help that lineup. And and Cozart could be kind of like a utility infielder, especially when they have like David Fletcher probably sliding into second base, so they could probably split time there. So I think Moose makes a lot of sense there, and almost certainly he's not coming to Kansas City as much as some people would like to see that happen. So, uh, speaking of Kansas City, though, David. We didn't mention them at all. Obviously, they're not going to get one of the top free agents. Do you see them dabbling in free agency at all? Yeah, I mean, they're going to look at a reliever. They're going to look at a back-end starter. Um, I think they're probably pretty happy. I know that they had interest in Tanner Roark in the past, um, which is kind of why I had him go into the Royals. And I think they're probably pretty happy that he struggled at the end of the year because it maybe pushed him back into their price range. Because when he went to the A's at first, he had a really good start with them. And they had a couple of bad starts, and so I think that brought his price a little bit back down. I think he's a guy to look at, but anybody like him, Kyle Gibson is a possibility. Uh, Michael Pineda is a higher-end possibility, or at least higher potential possibility. Uh, so there are a few guys there. And then some reliever. I don't know. I had Sergio Romo, but, I mean, really throw a dart. Throw a dart at any reliever who's been effective in the last three years. And I think that they're, the Royals are going to be in on those guys because they can get them for $5 million. And not not throw a lot of money at it um and uh, you know th- there's add that to kennedy and barlow and and tim hill and probably daniel tillow at some point i think that they're going to try to build a passable bullpen if not good and i you know they're going to give another shot they've tried it the last two years it hasn't worked out maybe third time's a charm <laughs> well it certainly hasn't worked out and craig brown had a really good article today about uh, kind of detailing uh, Dave Morris' free agent history, Matthew. Considering that history, especially the recent history, do we even want Dave Moore going and chopping in the free agent bin this year? I think he should try to sign some guys to minor league deals, a la Homer Bailey, because um, you know if they're if they're bad, you can just cut them, and there's no skin off your back. And if you're good, you know that's a huge you know you got them for nothing. You got them for the league minimum. You wouldn't be paying. Uh, any more or less for just some random AAA player um, who has never been any good before to to play. So I think minor league deals are the way to go. I do think that he'll have to do some, you know, find some guys in minor league deals um, just for some depth, uh, which the Royals don't have a lot of outside of their their top group of pitching, which you want to have um, plenty of time to acclimate to whatever level they're going to be next year. And then when they're ready, come up when they're ready and not when they're um, rushed up to to fill a spot um, like some past Royals pitchers have maybe been uh, been doing. Not going to name any names, but Luke Hachever and Aaron Carr were two of them. Um, <laughs> the, I actually think there's a possibility that they bring back Homer Bailey. I mean, he's a free agent. We'll see. I mean, he pitched pretty well last year, not just with the Royals, but with the Athletics too. I, I wonder if any teams are going to buy into it. I mean, he's 33. He'll turn 34 in, in May. So, you know, the Royals could come back, maybe give him a major league deal this time. Maybe trade him for a second time. Who knows? But somebody, yeah, somebody in that, you know, Homer, Bailey, Tanner, Roark sort of sphere. Well, yeah, I think the, the, the way they're going to go is to try to stay flexible and nimble because, 
you know, with the rotation, they've got kind of four spots filled. They've got Duffy, Montgomery, Keller, Junis. You know, there's been talk about moving Junis to the bullpen, but I think he starts in the rotation. And then you got that fifth spot, and I think they're going to want to keep that kind of open in case Jackson Cole or Brady Singer is ready, you know, sometime during the summer. Certainly you could move Montgomery or even Duffy or, or Junis to the bullpen at some point, but I think ideally they like to, you know, have a guy force that issue. And if they need to move a, you know, a Homer Bailey, uh, it would be easier to move him on a one-year deal than it would be to, like, move someone they have on a two-year deal or something like that. So, yeah, I think it makes sense to bring in a guy on a short-term deal, preferably like a minor league deal that is kind of incentive-laden so that if they can ship him in June, that's it's pretty easy to do so. And, and I expect them to go after, like, a, a reliever, maybe even two relievers. I think they do want some bullpen, um, I guess – a solid bullpen out there to kind of help that rotational bit. But yeah, I, I, I'm expecting a pretty slow off season. I think it's going to be uh tumbleweeds at Royals review <laughs> for a couple months, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I did kind of want to end it's, it's, we're going to call it Royals review rants. I think uh, just something that our guests have noticed, maybe a story, a stat, a tweet. Um, it's something they can share with us. So David, we'll start with you. What have you got for this first this week? Well, um, the, the thing that I've been, toying with is obviously uh, it's not baseball related but disney plus when it, it came out this week and uh, yes uh, a couple it's, it's a couple funny things one i i really enjoyed a lot of the memes which um i saw one that was um oh man i can't I, i'm totally blanking on his name shia labeouf um it was us watching disney as kids i was watching disney now and it was him as he as you know and even stevens and then him in that movie theater <laughs> gif so that was funny um I, I'm I'm toying with with the idea of getting it. I have not gotten it yet. Um, but it's a, it's a free trial for a week. It is. Yeah, I need to do that for sure. The issue that I'm running into is we already have Hulu mm-hmm. and ESPN Plus, and it's on two different accounts, and so it's very very convoluted for me. Um, so that that's been my my struggle for the last three days is how how exactly to make the seven dollar investment of Disney Plus work <laughs> because you look at that catalog and man, it looks good. I, I just I I don't know I uh, I need to get it I just need to figure out exactly the best the best possible way and in the meantime I'm really really enjoying the the ridiculous memes that have come out of out of the Disney Plus launch over the last couple of days. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I was just having a back and forth with, on Twitter with Eno Saris of the Athletic about um, you know our kids really enjoyed it. Uh, because we just went to Disney World like three weeks ago, and they did not know many of the the, the movies. Like they have never seen Peter Pan. They they have never seen Snow White, and they love the Snow White ride. And so to, yesterday we actually sat down and watched it, and they loved it. But a lot of that content they've never seen before because we just have never had you know kids these days they watch YouTube channels they don't watch you know right TV. and well there's no you don't have the deep uh, the VCR to play, right. to play yeah. the tape so yeah. right so um, so. So there's like wonderful library, but as far as like content for myself and my wife, like I watched The Mandalorian, it was pretty good. Uh, but there's very little original content. So I was you know talking to Saris, and and you know, it's like well they're they're gonna have to you know have some newer content, you know some new original content because there's only so many times I can watch you know The Lion King. So right, yeah, but yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. Uh, and yeah, I would at least check it out for the for the for the free week. Oh, absolutely, uh, Matthew. What do you what have you got? Yeah, so this week on the Nintendo Switch, Pokemon Sword and Shield came out, which I have no comments about the game itself. I haven't played a Pokemon game in a while, uh, but, you know, a lot of people still like it. Um, But there was a a thing in the corner of the internet, some 
rustling, some complaints. Uh, rustling's maybe a little too, you know, too tame of a word. There was very loud complaints, all because basically um, Sword and Shield doesn't contain all of the Pokemon. It's called the National Dex. Um, there are like 900 Pokemon, and the game developers thought, Mm, you know, maybe that's a little too much. So they didn't include all 900 of them, and they wanted to devote time to other things. Pokemon fans were pissed at this. And over the last week, last couple of weeks, it's gotten re- just really bad. And my my rant is this. Do not, you know, give people or, you know, creators death threats or, you know, be super angry and, like, swear at them on, on Twitter and social media and stuff. You know, they're they're just trying to do their best, you know. And I've seen, you know, reporters cop, caught up in this, too, where, you know, they'll, they'll say something about it. And then they'll just get a lot of flack from really angry people who just have to air their grievances because, I don't know, it makes them feel better or something. So my, my rant is, if something makes you really mad, you know, maybe say you can say so, but don't tag the people who made it and swear at them and make them, you know, miserable. Like it's, it's not going to accomplish anything. And you're just being, you're just being mean about it. So that's, that's what I have to say. It really bothers me. Stop doing it, please. And that goes double for Royals review articles. Do not tag us. If you don't like the articles, (laughs) just leave us alone and let us actually tag Craig Brown, in all of your articles and all of your, all of your anger. Um, He loves it. Yeah. Uh, so the one thing I just want to bring up this week is the Wichita is getting a triple-A baseball team, uh, and they, they've they been kind of uh, teasing what the name would be for a long time. First of all, it's great. Wichita is a great baseball town. They have the National Baseball Congress there every year. Um, great baseball history in that town. Wichita Shockers are obviously a great college program. Uh, they revealed the, the name this week. It is the Wichita Wind Surge, and there was a nice ex- two-paragraph explanation of what that means and the history of it. But I feel like if you need two paragraphs to explain your name, uh, it may be kind of a dud. Um, I mean, and I, I like the trend in minor league baseball of going with, like, really clever, unique, you know, kind of oddball names like uh, the Lansing Locos or, like, the, you know, the Trash Pandas or, like, the, you know, there's all sorts of crazy names out there. And Wichita, you know, they're trying to be a little different. Uh, and I don't know, it hasn't really gone over very well. A lot of allusions to flatulence. Uh, so I don't know if that's the direction they want to go in. So it wouldn't surprise me if they change a name in a year or two. But uh, for now, it's the Wichita Wind Surge. I guess we'll give it a chance. Uh, my wife's from Wichita, so we, we go down there a couple times a year, and, and maybe I'll I'll check out a Wind Surge game at some point. But uh, I don't expect to be getting any paraphernalia or memorabilia from the team. The logo is pretty cool, actually, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, Wichita – well, say what you want about Wichita. They have one of the coolest like city flags uh, of any city. Yeah. It's really cool flag. It's a neat looking flag. I think it incorporates some of the city's Native American roots. But it's actually a really cool flag. And and there's, you know, I, I think there's going to be a really well run team. But <laughs> the name they're not to they're not off to a strong start. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> well, that'll kind of do it for us tonight. Uh, of course, you can always visit our site at royalsreview.com and follow us on Twitter at royalsreview. I want to give very special thanks to David Lesky and Matthew Lamar for being on tonight. And thank you for our readers and listeners for giving us a follow. We'll talk to you next time.